0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Turn on the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Zance, joined by my co-host, Stephen Russo. We'll be joined shortly by another member of Turn on the Jets, Will Parkinson, who hosts the TOJ pod, the same podcast feed that our show goes on weekly. He's been really crushing. We're really excited to have him on. Stephen, how you doing? Good, man.
1: Feeling good. Um, kind of the lull of the, uh, you know, spring-summer OTA news. Um, waiting for training camp to start, but uh, things are going well. How you doing?
0: Doing well. I mean, you know, it's definitely a down period for this team. You know, we're getting a little bit closer to training camp, but I know that's when a lot of fans get really excited because they're like, preseason's coming. You know, we're going to start hearing a lot about Zach, how he's looking on the field and everything like that. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited. And, you know, OTAs have been going, and we were just joking before, you know, don't think about OTA statistics. I, I made fun of somebody on Twitter, and then they went back at me saying, "We're just trying to get excited. Don't be lame." But I'm like, it's OTAs. It doesn't mean anything. It's like preseason. It's practice. When Week One hits, if Zach Wilson throws five touchdowns, then you can be excited. Then you can put all the things in the paper with all those crazy headlines: "A Star is Born," "Broadway Zach," all that stuff. But yeah, let's let's just temper the expectations just a little bit. But um, <laughs> I mean, want to I get-
1: agree. Listen, I can I can understand the excitement. We're all excited. Um, again, we tend to get very uh, hyped up about this stuff, and then ends up falling flat on its face come September. So, again, to your point, temper the expectations. Don't get too crazy about Zach Wilson going ten for eleven and seven on seven drills. Let's just uh, let's wait till September and, and when it counts.
0: <laughs> That's for sure. I think also we should definitely kick it off with some of the comments that Mike LaFleur made just about the offense and really how he's going to try to tailor the offense to the players on the team. It's really refreshing to hear this because when you think about last year and really 2019, I guess really when the Gase offense was installed, it was like Gase was just not trying to make Le'Veon Bell fit on this team. He was essentially just doing what he felt Le'Veon Bell should be doing because that's what he wanted versus utilizing his skill set, which is strong in, in the backfield for receiving and using him a lot more like out, like lined up out wide. So it's really refreshing to hear him say that and really trying to maximize the talent on the roster, especially guys like Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, and even Michael Carter, who's really drawn rave reviews thus far. It's OTAs, like I said, but it's definitely good to hear that he's picking up the offense and really looking crisp.
1: Yeah. So, again, I think we've, we've talked about this, but it just it highlights how bad Adam Gaze really was and how low of a bar he really set. This isn't that crazy. It's a fairly simple concept. You want to get your best players in the field and tailor your offense to have success. So you, you know, utilize your best players in the best way possible. Um, Adam Gase felt like a uh, like his system trumped talent. So no matter what, oh, there he is. (laughs) Hey, Will, how you doing, man?
2: I'm good, dude. How you guys doing?
1: Good, good. Just in the middle of talking about Adam Gase and, uh, and Michael Floor and the, and the differences go. between the two. So, <laughs> no, it felt like Adam Gase was really in a, you know, a mindset where system trump talent, where he thought his system did it all. And it didn't matter what talent he had there. And he wouldn't try to get two people with similar capabilities on the, on the field at once, because that would be for him, like fitting a square peg in a round hole. Now you have Michael Floor who is talking about these concepts and saying he really wants to put his players in a good position because that's what good offensive minds, good coaches do. Um, so it's really exciting uh, for Jets fans. It's really exciting to have a coach like this, to have a coaching staff like this. So um, it's great to hear those comments. I'm glad we're back into, you know, uh, having a coach that we can actually root for. Yes.
0: Yeah, so, well, what are, what are your thoughts on the comments about the floor? We were just kind of saying how it's really refreshing to hear him say, He's going to tailor the offense to the strengths of the team versus Gates, who refused to use Le'Veon Bell as like a receiver and not really doing the things that Sam was doing well, which ultimately led to his implosion on the team and being shipped off to Carolina.
2: Uh, I mean, when you put it that way, now um, in terms of in terms of Gates and those comment, like you know his comments throughout the two years and you know the article, there's an article that came out three days ago that Peyton Manning was crapping on Gates during meetings and. Kind of correcting it took like Peyton Manning's offense, and Peyton Manning was a very different quarterback than Sam Darnold was, a very different quarterback than Ryan Tannehill was, as we saw in Miami, um, versus the way he performs in Tennessee. So it was exciting to hear those. Um, I, I don't, obviously, I said this on the pod the other day. I'm really excited. I'd like to see it happen in person because you can say all these great things, and then if you revert back to, you know, even Gase during weeks to be, oh, we're going to get Sam on the move, or whatever, play action, and we're going to do all this stuff, and then we never do it. I don't think that'll happen. I'm not trying to be negative. I just I'd like to see it happen first, but that's the way you should do. I mean, as a coach, I think that's the best. The best guys are able to adapt to their roster, right? Andy Reid's changed his offense over time to adapt to the way whoever his quarterback has been. It's been successful everywhere. The principles always stay the same. That's what Lafleur said that stood out to me. West Coast outside zone scheme, but. Whatever is going to be the best situation for the team going forward, the talent they have on the roster, running back, receiver, tight end, et cetera, Wilson's skill set specifically, can we put him in the best situation to succeed? So I was excited about it. I was happy he said it. And, you know, someone didn't kind of push back on him to say it. It was like he came out and said that. But I just – I like to, I want to see it happen in person before I get too overexcited because, like I said, we've heard Gay say – we've you know, there's other guys that have, you know, failed as NFL coaches or coordinators. And, you know, he's under learning on one of the best top probably two or three minds in football and McVeigh and probably Andy Reid. But, like I said, I'm excited. I, I thought that was really awesome to hear. And if you're a Zach Wilson believer, which I think most of us should be at this point, there's no reason not to be, that has to make you just feel that much better in addition to the way they drafted, the way they attacked free agency. And uh, the way he's kind of looked in the first four or five days of uh, OTAs with the Vets.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, Will, let's let's dig in a little bit further here. And, and Steven, obviously. So, um, going into Sal's coaching staff, uh, you go back to Gase. You, you know what happened. You know, we were all on the Matt Rule train. And he walked out the door because Mike McKagan couldn't pick, handpick his coaching staff. And, you know, Rule leaves, says, hey, listen, I'm not going to be in an arranged marriage. Enter Adam Gase. Enter to Dow Loggins, they say, listen, we're, that's it. We don't need a QB coach. So we endured two years of that. And now you have Salah come in and Salah is actually hiring a staff that seems diverse, both in experience and relation to him. So what are your guys' thoughts on the coaching staff that he's assembled? And obviously how it compares to prior regimes.
2: Um, I guess a couple of things stood out to me. Um, one, acknowledging that you might not know everything and you, and acknowledging your weaknesses to me is this like shows how good of a leader you can or are going to be. Um, I think something that again that failed with Adam Gase and it's failed a lot of head coaches is not giving up power or not being able to acknowledge hey I'm not a great you know Rex Ryan it may have faulted him in the end because he might not have trusted the right people but at least he understood I don't know offense I don't understand it and I'm not going to deal with it now Mm -hmm. did that hurt Sanchez in the long run maybe I don't know that could have been Schottenheimer that could have been a lot of things Mm could have just been Mark Sanchez wasn't as good as we thought right but he, wasn't. At least he At least he understood, though, right? at least he understood this is not a strength of mine. And I'm a good defensive coach. Salah on both sides of the ball is understood. I don't know everything. And I think that's huge. He talked about that. There was a clip that went viral right when he got hired. I don't know everything. I, I acknowledge my weaknesses. I want to build a staff that's going to bring me up. So that gets that gets me almost more fired up than as great as those comments are. The fact that he even has those people in the building. Look, LaFleur is one of the top, probably five or six offensive assistants that was going to get a you know a coordinator job this offseason. The Jets got both a top head coaching candidate, a top offensive coordinator candidate, John Benton, to coach and as an assistant, a guy that's been sought after. He's going to leave forever. Holbrook did a decent job in Atlanta last year taking over for Quinn. You look at even at Miles Austin as a positional coach. Guys like that that, um, you know, you can't help but not be excited about you mentioned diversity, there's diversity in race, there's diversity in religion, there's diversity in age, there's diversity, I mean, experience levels, every different, you know, teams, different systems. It's going to take, it might take a little bit to mesh, but in addition, that was 80 plus guys that have been in OTAs voluntarily. There was a couple guys already injured and whatever, but yeah. I'm excited about the staff as a whole. And I think you can't help but not get fired up knowing you've got these different guys, like these different backgrounds and they're coming together and. They're exciting, youthful group, but then you've still got that veteran presence of John Batten or, yeah. um, you know, oberg has been there. Salah's, you know, been in the NFL for a long time and he used to do a head coaching job. He got screwed over last year because the 49ers were too good, <laughs> right? And they've changed that rule now. And the Jets got lucky because he should have gotten a job last year and he would have. It would have really sucked if we would have let Sal out of the building and not have got him because I think he was the best head coach on the can- best head coach in Canada on the market. Uh, you know, this offseason
0: definitely. And you touched on one of my favorite hires on the staff. Obviously, isn't a coordinator, Miles Austin. I just think that his presence is going to be a lot bigger than people think in that receiver room. I think you know he was a very solid player when he played for the Cowboys. I know he played for a couple other teams after, but he was a really solid guy. He was a Pro Bowler. You know, he was their best receiver at one point when Tony Romero was in his prime. But I think something that besides obviously teaching some of these young guys, like the nuances and the tips and tricks about how to be a good NFL receiver, especially in the blocking end, I think his you know history playing in Dallas, where there's so much pressure and how to deal with being a professional in a big market, especially a team like the Cowboys, I think that's going to be so, super valuable to a guy like Elijah Moore, especially Denzel Mims, because those are the types of things that like you don't really think about when you're talking about coaching. It's more, you're thinking more X's and O's and technique and lifting and stuff like that. But, you know, teaching them how to handle things, especially for a guy who's like been there, done that, I think that's going to be super valuable for these young receivers. And another guy I love, and I feel like we all love because he's like a legend to us, is Leon Washington. I know he's just like an assistant on the special team staff, but like how could you not be excited about a guy who was one of the most electric players we really saw on the team the last 20 years? I feel like he's really going to give guys like Berrios or whoever is going to really be returning kicks, just some great tips, especially that one thing I remember he did in a game where he was back to return a kick and he was smart enough to know the ball was going out of bounds and he caught it, but he left one foot out. Those are little things that a guy like Leon Washington with his experience could teach these guys of how to make smarter plays and really put the team in the best position to win.
2: You all, just, By the way, just before you go, you mentioned, you know, Elijah Moore. We have to mention Denzel Mims as well. Denzel Mims played, we play eight games last year, seven if games. That, if yeah. that, it was spark, it was, you know, spot, stop, stop, start. I've talked about this, the torn hamstrings on both sides is brutal, but, you know, he he's just as important for Miles Austin, too, as Elijah Moore. I mean, honestly, Elijah mm-hmm. Moore played more football the last two years than Denzel Mims has, and yeah. slots usually generally an easier transition than an you know, outside receiver from just the speed of the game and things like that. So, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to help with from Denzel Mims' perspective, whether it's, hey, I went through pulled hamstrings. Miles Austin always felt like he was always getting injured. Yep. And maybe he's be able to take something away. Hey, diet-wise, eat less red meat or, you know, this <laughs> while you're have- – No, ser- I mean, seriously, it's like there's yeah. certain things diet-wise, you can change and things like that, and maybe he's in Denzel Mims' ear. Hey, you know, your hamstrings are struggling with that. Maybe we got to bump up your, you know, bump up your calorie intake, whatever it is. I think that's just as important because if Mims develops the way we all want him to – that's a game changer for this offense because yep. his ceiling is is here and you know, as an outside guy, the Jets just haven't had that since what Marshall for one year and then Keyshawn, like in Laverne's Koes. I don't know. It's crazy.
0: I like yep. what Meigs has been saying about him, just like the DJ Chark jump in year two. I think yep. that with a better quarterback, better coaching, he can really make that jump. Steven, what are your thoughts on this?
1: So I think you guys both hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's a couple of things that I'd like to highlight. First of all, on the Leon Washington point, I mean, he had four years where he learned from Mike Westhoff, who was arguably the best special teams coach, definitely in the league at the time he was there. and Definitely. And potentially yes. ever. Um, so having that there, even as just an assistant, is, is huge. Um, I think... Sala saying that he's not going to be, he's not going to call defensive place and recognizing that because he's got uh, duties as a head coach and, and seeing that there are things that are going to come up that he's probably not familiar with and him taking a step back and trusting in his staff is a huge thing. Um, the Jets kind of having this history of going those pendulum, pendulum swings with head coach hires, especially in terms of personality. You think Mangini to Rex, Rex to Bowles, Bowles to Gase, and now Gase to Sala. Um, but this feels just like it's it's definitely a pendulum swing but it's also kind of middle of the road where he's a good balance of, of everything of, um, of fire and smarts which mm-hmm. I like and and there's a you know there, there's got to be some discipline in there too so I don't just overall I like his mindset um, the other thing that's kind of you know went under the radar but the Jets uh, solid just hired an in-game uh, manager coordinator uh, Matt Burke old, he was DC for uh, for Adam Gase but that's a huge thing too. And if you remember, if you go back to some of those regimes, I just, I just mentioned, I mean, Rex Ryan got more involvement in the field penalties called against his teams. than I ever care to see in a lifetime, <laughs> uh, Todd Bowles would punt down two scores in the fourth quarter, with five minutes to go. His Adam ability
2: was, to call timeouts was particularly he, embarrassing. Oh Almost my God. Times
1: would take three timeouts into the half and then waste two in the first five minutes of the third quarter. And then you had Adam Gase, who our own Joe Caparoso coined, you know, forfeit football for, I mean, it, the game manager aspect, and that's something you're not going to know until they get in and get some games under yeah. their and they feel for it until the real games come and they matter. But that is a huge thing. So again, recognizing that that's something that he probably doesn't have experience with yet and and hiring someone to do this job. And we could also kind of make jokes at getting a get back coach because I, I love that, but um, <laughs> But getting an in-game manager, I mean, that's that's something that I think is is huge, and at least uh, it's it's needed, um,
0: especially for a first-time coach. And I'm hoping that whoever this guy is, I don't know know the name off the top of my head he at least has an assistant or part of his job to be the clock management. I feel like if you just watch Andy Reid in any big game, you know how important it is to have someone who's really looking at the clock and keeping tabs on what the scenarios are and what you should be doing in this situation because that is something that really hurts rookie head coaches, clock management, because if you're not managing the clock, you're going to lose football games. That's just as simple as that, and that's what's made a lot of guys kind of flame out as head coaches
2: even like you look at Sala that he just did it. He does a podcast with, uh, with within today and Schrager, mm. and some of the Shanahan guys that are all, they're all buddies. And before, uh, like, you know, before out and, and, uh, in Green Bay, but he, he mentioned like his first experience, like really understanding the importance of timeouts and how important when, and when it's not important, he talked about, Hey, you know, Kyle was, gave me kind of the reins on a drive yeah, and it was a third and five. And he, I think he went nickel and, they just blasted them with power and they got the first down and he had called the timeout to get nickel on the field because he, mm-hmm. he, you know, calling plays, whatever. As a head coach, he was thinking from a defensive mind. He's not thinking from a head coach and time management perspective. He talked about how now he can pay attention all that type of stuff and he can trust, he trusts his staff, right? Those are his guys. Yeah. He was able to choose it, which again, you mentioned the open. That's why Matt rule is not here. And is because that he wasn't allowed to hire his own staff, which, it's wild to me that you wouldn't have your head coach who you're gonna have a long-term contract to and pay millions mm-hmm. of dollars to hire their own people. But that's not know, Sal, and, right, but I'm saying if Salah understands that and he's even now talking he's open about it, he's being vulnerable again. It's another thing if I'm vulnerable about something I needed to work on. He's like mm-hmm. Kyle lit into me. I've never seen him get like that. And I was like, to me, I'm like he learned. He knew something that he messed up on. He's openly willing to that's in front of his peers, right? That's McVay, who's one of the top three or four coaches in the league. Even yep. if they're close, it doesn't matter. That's his offensive coordinator's brother, who we can, you know, debate on there, his clock management uh, skills <laughs> in the NFC title game. But again, he's won 13, 14 games, right? So if he's yep. – I just think you have to, like, just think about – think about Sol and, yes, am I building him up? Probably And you know, there's something inside of me that thinks, oh, God, I might I might be going too crazy. But yeah, I just love the fact that he understands I need to be the head coach of this team and the, the leader of this team, not – defensive coordinator not the offense. like i'm the head coach and that and something you guys have both mentioned before in our slack chat things like that he's our head coach not offense coordinator defense coordinator ceo rah, rah, rah. yeah ceo that's what they wanted cast a wide net. they did all that <laughs> and they got their guy right so that's at the end of the day that's what's most yeah. important
1: yeah and you know you talk about i mean i mentioned pendulum swings but think about mike mccagnon saying i'm going to handpick matt Rule's staff to then before this coaching search and joe douglas saying I would never force coaches on a head coach. You pick them and you allow them to hire their staff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. It just feels like the organization is starting to get it It's starting to click. They're doing things the right way. I mean, that's why there's this excitement around the fan base right now.
0: Definitely. And I just hope that solid knows not to pull a Todd Bowles and just leave timeouts going into halftime, use them. They don't carry over. I like that would frustrate me more than a lot of things that Todd Bowles did. And I know Gase did it too. I just, like, Belichick uh, is a genius with that. He Mm -hmm. always finds ways to use his timeouts before the half, and that's why they always would get those two-minute drives at the end of the half and always be up if they were losing. Like, you just need to do that. And it's so frustrating as a fan because you're like, what is he thinking? Like, why are you not doing that? So happens in
2: every sport. Literally watch the NBA, too. You watch the best head coaches, and everyone's like, oh, it's substitutions. Yeah, it is, but 20-use timeouts is how you break up momentum. It's how you read the game. It's your feel for the game you've watched enough Knicks and Derek Fisher's Too and the Mike Woodson's of the world. And I had to watch Avery Johnson, all these guys that didn't have a feel for the, for the game. Yeah, and they'd yeah. leave five timeouts going to halftime. You're like, so silly for what um, now you're down 12. So I know it's a different sport, but it's the same concept that feel mm-hmm. that, that understanding of, Hey, this, I have it. This is my advantage. This isn't like a, Oh my God, if we use these, we're going to lose. No, you probably should use them at some point. not, yeah. With 12 minutes to go in the third quarter on the third and five because he can't get lined up properly.
0: Oh, the worst. But uh <laughs> let's transition to, you know, positional groups, you know, strengths and weaknesses of the team. I think the obvious strength of the team is definitely going to be defensive line. I feel like this is the deepest line they've had really since the peak days of Mo Wilk, Sheldon Richardson, Damian Harrison, and then Leo. I mean, that was awesome when we had that team. Ultimately, it didn't really work out you know, cause all those guys are gone now, but you know, we did see some success in the early years of Todd Bowles, but um, you know, Steven, what do you think besides defensive line would be the deepest position group that you think we have on the roster right now?
1: It's, it may surprise some people, but I honestly think it's the wide receiver core. Um, I mean, it's a change of pace and a welcome change of pace at that over years past, but I mean, really uh, you know, Corey Davis and, and the big question is going to be if they can stay healthy, but and that's, that's obviously been a big question sure. over the course of the last few years, which is another thing we can kind of tie back to Salah and what kind of, you know, training staff he brings on. Cause that was a huge problem under Gates, but you know, Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, if, if healthy are two big wide receivers on the outside, Jameson Crowder, Elijah Moore are, you know, good in the slot. And, you know, we're expecting Elijah Moore to be good in the slot, but they're yes. playmakers. You got depth with Braxton Berrios. I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's a good core and I feel fairly confident, definitely more confident than I have in years past. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it also says a little bit about the rest of the team and the positional groups. But um, I think definitely if you were looking, if you were looking outside of D line, I think the the wide receiver core is is the next best that you'd have on the squad.
0: For sure. Well, what do you think about that? Do you agree? Is there another group that you like a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So I like the wide receiver
0: group. Um
2: it's growing on me more and more. Mm-hmm. I think they're deeper than they are great. I know if that's yeah, no, the that I think good. like they're one of the probably six or seven deepest groups in the league. And yeah. I this is the whole conversation that floated on Jets Twitter and mm-hmm. some of the responses are quite frankly ridiculous. But we're not the Jets receivers are not better than the box. Let's relax. No, and, it's but, I, I like, think let's people, relax.
0: There's a lot of this like um, people misconstruing this. They have a solid players. There's they no have, they're, great receiver on this roster. They're
2: six to seven deep of NFL caliber yes. caliber wide receivers that can get open, at least somewhat get open.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
2: Now, like I said, mentioned before, if Mims or Corey Davis take a next step, or Elijah Moore is awesome, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then you can add it into the Coles the and, and, you know, and, and Barrios. Yeah. yeah, Barrios is the world. Then now we're talking about a really, really deep group. With really top end, top end young talent, I think the safety group as well. In my yes. opinion, this might be a weird take, but the safety group—they can go. They're going to end up doing a lot of three safety stuff this year. Yeah, it's so cool. going to play. Like they're going to play Joiner, Davis, and May all at the same time. Davis is going to take a huge step in year too. thats That's—I'm not, not just being biased because I really like the guy. There's a best athlete there, in the NFL. Maybe may it, yeah, may a huge TOJ appearance from uh, from Ashton. But <laughs> oh, look at that. But, I think safety is, and even Jamal Adams, we can slander him all day long, but his second year he was an all-pro level player, and he was mm-hmm. year three as well, right? So he mentioned how hard safety is year one. Safety and wide receiver, for whatever reason, it's that speed of the game, and it's not player speed. It's the speed of having to think like over and over again. Of, people are 35, 36 years old, but playing football 15 years longer than you, going against you year in year one. Yep. defense. Greg Williams' defense is a disaster for young players. I don't know how Q managed to play well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Davis, I think, is going to take a huge step. His eyes will get better. He's going to be healthy. Sal is not going to put him in difficult situations. And then you got Joyner going back to a position that he was Pro Bowl level at. And then Marcus May is really, really good. Like, I think we just – like, you think, look at the defense. You're like, oh, the defense sucked last year. Well, it's like Marcus May was still awesome, and safeties is such a dependent position. So the fact that he still shined you know, on a bad defense, same with Q, is so important. Yes, D-line super impressive. But that D-line actually reminds me – of early 2000s Herm D-lines where Sean Ellis and then you opposite John Abraham where mm-hmm. Hugh can kind of play that Sean Ellis. I know they're different mm-hmm. slightly different spots, but maybe that 8 to 10 sack range. And then you expect Lawson to try to get between 10 and 15 sacks. Then you kind of supplement that with good guys. But, uh, you that's know, a good, so. that's a really good comparison, though. But if, if you figure that Q can be better
1: than Ellis in that role and Lawson, I mean, we're not going to say he's John Abraham just yet. But that balance so he can get out. even
2: close,
0: even yeah. just close. Exactly. That's just a year really rolling. If he's healthy, man, I, I think he's going to be flirting with Pro Bowl. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like every time I've watched him and it, I mean, I've obviously heard a lot of things that Connor said on Badlands and even like when he was on stick to football the guy just pops. He's always in the backfield and that's something you need. And Quinton does that a lot too. I just think with those, both those guys, it's going to be hard for these offensive lines to block them. And that just gets me excited.
2: If Sheldon Rankins is healthy. dude. Yeah. Him too. I, that's because like you look at that Saints D line from 2018 when Rankins was like cooking and that Saints team obviously mm-hmm. blew another home playoff game. But you know, you look at, you look at Rankins. Now you put him mm-hmm. next to Q. Now you put him next to situational guys The Curries and JFMs and, and those of the world, and fully be able to kind of supplement there as well. Now you kind of get crazy a little bit. You can have guys coming from anywhere. Solid Salad, Salad doesn't want to. I'm sure you probably guys will get to this, but the reason they haven't invested in corners, yes, they want youth, especially right now, to get all the reps, but also he, he was never going to go big in the corner right now when if you put all these guys up front and then get pressure right away, now you can let these young corners, all these guys are talented. You're in the NFL, right? You, you'd be able to make plays. These guys wouldn't get a roster otherwise, but if they can just sit and cover three and cover four and kind of relax and just use their eyes and their natural football instinct yeah, with yeah. good safeties, and know, little level middle linebacker and pressure. Now you can be a top 13, top 14 defense and at least stop people enough to have your quarterback develop the way you want them to. And then maybe win eight games, nine games. That's how you kind of get to that next level. In my opinion.
0: From your lips to God's ears, as they say, um, I think, you know, just transition to the other end of the shoe. I think that, you know, corners definitely to me, the biggest question mark and probably the most efficient part of the roster. You know, obviously there's some guys with talent, we know bless can definitely tackle really well, but his, his coverage has definitely been pretty questionable at best, you know, Gidry. I don't know how I feel about him taking on the Brian pools uh, slot spot. I end up, I think, and I know Joe's talked about this a lot. I think they'll end up bringing back pool because it's just too young of a corner group and they need a veteran in there. Um, You know, I don't know what Lamar Jackson's future is going to be on in, in the backfield. And, you know, we obviously have the other Michael Carter and, you know, we drafted a few, we took a few swings in late in the draft, but, you know, I would love for them to bring in a guy like Richard Sherman. I just think that they just need someone who's been there, done that. Similar we were talking about with miles Austin being the receivers coach, because the biggest problem I think with rookie corners is, they just don't know, you know, how these receivers are going to operate and, you know, the routes they're going to run and what they're truly really trying to do. And, you know, NFL offenses are much more sophisticated than what they're seeing at the college level. So I just think a guy like Richard Sherman can really uh, stabilize the corner room and also really teach some of these guys how to be a pro because there's so many good young corners. What do you guys both think about that? I think it's
1: – got to bring in a veteran, and I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of Sherman um, just from a leadership standpoint, from a knowing the, the scheme, knowing solid. Yep. what you table in a, in a young locker room i think that makes a lot of sense i hope it would make sense for him i think the writing's on the wall there he's going to see if there's a you know any um want there from a contender and obviously he'll go there if he can but if you know if the market dries up and still and, and the jets are an option i'd love to see it i think we've probably learned you've seen it with bless austin in years past do I like uh, Bryce Hall as, as an option? Yeah. Do I like his upside? Yeah, but he showed flashes in a terrible year in the last, what, five or six games of the season. So relying on him and, and then bless Austin to be your number one and number two corners, we've, we've seen this movie before, and you, you can't have it happen. So anyone that would come in and just be a solid number one corner that you can rely on is is a you know definite
2: necessity for this team. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think corners – corners is just weird right now because I just don't think this is what the corner room is going to look like come come opening day. Totally, you're right. Um, I like the youth. I think Pinnock maybe could be a guy that could contribute a little bit. Maybe he's a guy that flashes his top end speeds. Eh. Um, but he's looked good in, in good big games. He looked good against Louisville. Um, I think Michael Carter II could be an option. I think we're already – He's already getting that Jets height fit from Jets Twitter that's probably not. I think he picked than, off Zach Wilson today, Yeah, right? he, it's like he, it's now it's like let's he's a, he could be really good. And if he if he if he hits and Sal is as good as you know we want him to be. I think outside linebacker group's not great. Um I think that's a group that comes to mind. I don't yeah, think the guard I don't think the guard group as a whole is bad. I think that there's wow. just
0: there's one think, guy who helps it. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think there's,
2: I don't, that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's as a group that interior offensive line group is bad. It's just, it's a glaring, that right side is so much less sturdy than the left side of the line. Even if ABT's not even Quinn Nelson good, even if he's just good. Yeah. Um, that left side's really good. Tight ends a group that I, I'm not, I know uh, this is controversial for the, the TOJ and Badlands crew with the Chris Herndon stuff, but I, why am I supposed to trust Chris Herndon? No, he I was agree. really good for four games when Sam kind of peaked and Chris Herndon peaked at the same time, and we got really excited that they had a 22-year-old quarterback, a 23-year-old tight end. <laughs> it looked great, right? And they ripped up the Packers and the Texans, and he was making one hand of catches, and then he played one game, got suspended for eight games, broke his rib, was done. Then last year, cost them – were they ever going to win that Buffalo game week one? No. But did, were they down one possession and driving, and then he literally fumbled, and somehow mm-hmm. the game was over – get a bunch of drops and multiple other games. He's got a lot of talent. Tyler Croft's a nice depth piece. I, I miss me with the Ryan Griffin stuff, the Daniel Brown stuff. I just think that group could be decent, but it definitely doesn't. I'm not expecting people to game plan. And, oh, let's see if Chris is going to beat us today. Like, they're going to want that. They're, they're going to say, you're, you're, we're going to double Corey Davis. We're going to roll mm-hmm. coverage the other way. That's on Mims side. And we're going to try to press and try to, you know, chop Elijah Moore down. We're going to let Chris yeah. Herndon beat us.
0: Yeah, if he does. I
2: mean, he does, and that'd be great. I want it, I want to be wrong so badly, but I just—how am I supposed to? Try? it's are four now, right? Mm-hmm. We said that if we're saying that with Sam, we certainly have to be
0: saying the same thing with Chris. No, I, you're right. You're totally fair. But Steve, what are you about to say? It's,
1: no, I think it's—it's it's really just. It, it shows the rest of the positional groups are really unproven. So when you ask what you know after D line, I think it's—it's it's definitely receivers, and safeties as 2-3, whatever order you have them in, but it really is just kind of indicative of the state of the rest of the team. The, mm-hmm. the corners are a huge question mark. Tight ends are a huge question mark. Quarterback, clearly, I mean, we can feel as good as we want about Zach Wilson, but that is a question mark. Same for with sure. the running back room. You know, a, a lot of a lot of Jets fans are are high on, on Ty Johnson. What do we see him for? Three, four games, maybe? I mean, you know, it's really. Any- running against the Raiders isn't exactly
2: uh, a... <laughs> <I could, laughs>
1: So really, it's just kind of, a, it's the state of the roster. We all know it. I think you get a couple extra points just because you have a, you know, what we think is a good coaching staff here. So you're mm-hmm. going to, they're going to be coached up as opposed to down, but, you know, like we we're used to with Gase, but still there's unproven players on this roster across the board. And that's kind of why. So when you look at positional group strengths and weaknesses, it's really, you know, players you can trust. And
0: then there's a lot of them there that we simply don't know enough about yet. hmm one of the things, Will, when we touch it, talking about the tight ends, I think Tyler Croft is actually going to be really beneficial for us in the pass protection game. I think he can really help stabilize the right side. You know, playing with a guy like GVR or maybe hopefully Cam Clark. We're all like just praying to God this guy is a player because because Joe Douglas took him and he knows offensive line. But like, I think his skill set there will be great. I don't expect much of him other than maybe like two one-yard touchdowns from the goal line because that's really been his game from a pass-catching perspective. But I do think he's going to be valuable in the protection game. Um, he also knows that division
2: well, and this is I true. think that's super important. Mm-hmm. Look, this division—it's tough because I don't—I'm not sold on to a—I'm not—I the Patriots situation. I think people are super overrating how well, they do be. have the best
0: coach ever. So they it's have the fair. best
2: coach ever, but they've. Their GM is the same guy. He's not been good for a while. Um, They've drafted one Pro Bowler who was a a punter um, in the last decade, but we're not going to talk about that because they had Brady. (laughs) Uh, But the defensive three defensive head coaches in this division and now four it's a it's sucks for like these offenses. Mm -hmm. Even if is not as good as we want, he's still not good. He's still proven that defensively they're going to be a good football team. Brian Flores is awesome. The Jets have kind of copied their model and it's obviously we hope it works, right? You know, I'm Zabian Howard, so cornerback room mm-hmm. obviously as we mentioned, but Belichick's awesome. McDermott's an incredible football coach. They've got a great offensive coordinator, a great GM. So like there's this division's tough. It's, I think it's one of the two or three most it's gonna be one two or three most competitive divisions in mm-hmm. division games, right? I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know how good they are compared to the NFC West and the AFC North of so the world, things like that. But yeah, I'm excited about that. The only other group I I know I mentioned a little bit, outside linebackers weird because I don't know what to expect of Gerard Davis. Matt Patricia yeah. is the Adam Gase of defense, right? Everyone seen <laughs> no, see, I mean, look at it. He literally got a head coaching job and giving up the record amount of yards in the Super Bowl.
0: It's and Belichick's Adam Gase, defense, Adam Gase not got fi-
2: Adam Gase got fired and got a job right after. So, like – So true. He's playing out of position. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm biased towards Blake Cashman, but he's been good when he's been Your on the field. He's never, he's, never, he's never healthy. So, you know, he's talked a lot about getting healthy. If he stays on the field, he can contribute. You've got Hamsa – got Sherwood and all these guys they took in the draft. If one of those guys hits and you get something out of Cashman and Davis, now that linebacker group's actually pretty good, right? Because mm-hmm. now it's like an all-pro-level guy. We don't know what Mosley will be, obviously, but you can get some young talent to surround Mosley, and then you have a great front four and great safeties. If cornerback's your weakest group and on, like on offense, as we mentioned, you just have to figure out right guard and some of the unproven guys. Now the team, it's just like those things start to come together, and the coaching, you just hope can elevate those five out of ten guys to a seven and the seven out of ten guys to a nine and now mm-hmm. you're starting to cook a little bit as opposed to five out of ten becoming a one and the, the nines becoming a two <laughs>
0: so <laughs> for sure so Will, um you know we definitely got to run but um give us your 30 second elevator pitch as to why sam darnold will be a good quarterback in carolina since you do love sam and you're the leader of the fan club <laughs> uh
2: mobility upside Mentally strong and a kid that comes from a good background and understands and wants to be great. He's gonna be surrounded by better talent. The offensive mm-hmm. the offense of made Joe Burrow the number one overall pick. It made Teddy Bridgewater look efficient. Yep. I don't see getting out of the New York media spotlight and I think that he's still as much as you don't want to hear it, he's still twenty three years old and he's played quarterback <laughs> for five years, six years, like at a high level. Yeah. At you know, at the highest level of whatever you could play. So yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited for Sam, to be honest with you. I think getting out of New York, the more I think about it, it's better for him, it's better mm-hmm. for the Jets, it's better for Panthers going forward. I think the Panthers are going to end up looking back and saying that trade was so worth it, and the Jets are going to say it was worth it because we got Wilson and those additional picks. I think it's a trade that will end up working out for both teams. And I think the Panthers are going to be decent. I don't think they're going to beat the Jets week one, but <laughs> I hope it's the reverse of the Packers uh, Packers-Jets yeah. game from – uh, 2018 when Sam threw for like 404 touchdowns, but the Jets lost. I hope that's what happens week one. and We get shredded, but Wilson <laughs> now plays him.
0: Fair. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I hope he does well too, except when he plays week one. Um, appreciate you coming on the show, man. We'll definitely have you on during the season. Obviously, guys, like I mentioned at the top of the show, please remember to subscribe to the TOJ pod feed to listen to all of Will's great guests. He's got some great people coming on in the next couple months. Um, I know you guys definitely don't want to miss that. Obviously, you'll get to hear our show as well as draft season. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe to Patreon. The new docu series is launching this week about the hiring of Robert Sala, and you guys will definitely not want to miss that. I know Joe and Connor have some good surprises for us. We really want everyone to really hear about this because there's going to be some good nuggets. Listen, Daniel Jeremiah is on the show. He's pretty big time, don't you guys think? <laughs> um, but yeah, any closing Thank you thoughts? For any closing thoughts, man?
1: No, I think, uh, Will, appreciate you jumping on, man. Great things over at TOJ, taking over the pod. Obviously, uh, got some just good things cranking out. Uh, everything, grass season coming to a close. Badlands keeps kicking. TOJ Live's doing well. And uh, and we Will doing big things over at uh, Turn on the Jets podcast. So keep tuning in, guys, and thanks very much.
0: Yep. Take care, everyone. Hope you enjoy us next week when we have.